Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus on the law. My name is Basil Sharinda, and once again, I'm your guardian of the law for the evening. This evening, we are discussing Child Protection Week and child protection in general. That is the, the rights of the child to physical and psychological integrity, the rights of the child to dignity, the rights of the child to be, to be protected by their parents, by the school project in general, that is teachers and any other support structure, the rights of the child to be protected by society, and we're looking at some of the dangers that which children have experienced uh, from a day-to-day basis. In essence, the campaign of Child Protection Week is, is led by the Department of Social Development. Uh, we are also going to be speaking to Legal Aid Office and they will be speaking to us about what can be done in situations where a child is, is abused and so forth and so forth. The show this evening is looking at particularly Section 12 of the Constitution, Section 28 of the Constitution, is also looking at the Children's Rights Charter, uh, which enunciates and extrapolates the, the rights of the child to food, the right of the child to nutrition, the rights of the child to protection, physical protection, psychological protection, and, and the rights of the child to freedom of expression. It looks at how the child needs to be developed from the ground. If you look, go and look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, um, s- speaks to us about how important children are to the development of our society from when they are still children. But to also quote our former president and our former icon, or rather our icon, Nelson Mandela, uh, he says that there, are, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. This evening, we are going to be exploring fundamentally, well, the violences that which children experience from 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 many ways uh, that would be physically that is psychologically that would be uh, emotionally at home and outside our main focus will be on the physical abuse and the sexual abuse um, and on the show we'll be speaking to many experts that which deal with that particular issue and one of those experts will be uh, Cynthia Nyoni who is a social work manager we'll also be speaking to legal aid center call center manager Mr. 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 Dennis Masango and we'll also be looking at what the Childline CEO, Ms. Dumisile Nala, has been saying. Uh, so please stay in tune while we unpack this topic even further. Uh, but to, before we get into that, we are going to start the show like we normally do with the legal hotspots of the week. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week, Legal Hotspots. Welcome back to your point of legal information and you're still sitting with me, Basil Shirinda, and I'm your guardian of the law, as I've said to you will be when we've uh, b- begun this show. While I'm quite excited about this evening's show, I'm quite saddened by the kind of violence that which children experience, but also the kind of vulnerability that which as a society we have placed our children. I mean, fundamentally, you, you, you get quite worried, but let's get into the legal hotspots for now. Our first story looks at uh, the particular student uh, from the Walter Sisuli University who finds herself in court to to answer for the 14.1 million that which uh, was de- was uh, was deposited to her by the NESFAS, that is the National Students uh, Financial Aid Services. The second story of the week is looks at uh, Mr. Pillay um, and how his case has been postponed in court, but. We're going to unpack the trial even further and look at uh, the charges that which uh, Mr. Pillay faces. 
the third story looks at um, how which is quite shocking not just for me but also for you law focus listen especially looking into the fact that we did a show on it uh we we had a quite a strong focus on it um and that is the fact that the member of the members of parliament uh in parliament have actually given a nod uh to the wage bill <laughs> that which uh has been quite in under quite controversy uh from all um from all trade unions uh, the fourth story um well i'm giving you a bonus this week uh, the fourth story is that is that uh, the deputy president david mabuza has actually stated the fact that whoever is going to get land should not sit on that land so while the the committee on the, the constitutional review on section 25 subsection 2 uh, is looking into this thing at the same time we have a president who's actually commenting in the manner in which it's going to be done um, I'm going to look into that as well, uh, which is going to um, be the government of my legal hotspots. To, to entertain the first story of the evening, the Walter Sisuli University student has actually received, um, erroneously, from the, the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, 14.1 million um, last year. And so she was appearing at the East London Magistrates Court. Uh, a lot of people will be quite surprised at the jurisdiction how uh, because she's experiencing or rather she's being charged for theft but rather the jurisdiction of 14.1 million actually exceeds the magistrate's court so it opens up the question of why is she at the magistrate's court now the answer is very simple is the fact that the evidence that which is presented at the magistrate's court uh, is not quite complicated and it's quite straightforward what is going to be at issue is going to be intentionality um, to the extent that she's actually sexually spent only 801,000 rands uh, in buying personal belongings. And most people will say she knew that the 14 million rands was not hers. And that is enough to to explain dollars eventually in our current law. But it's still open to discussion. And that's how the matter will actually be remitted to um, to the high court. But, I mean, the Hawk spokesperson Annalisa Feni said that Spongile Mani, who is the accused, was arrested on Tuesday morning by the Serious Commercial Crimes Unit after she was requested to hand herself in at the Cape Provincial Office in East London. Um, that it, it was alleged that in June 2017, she allegedly received that 14.1 million and then she spent 101, as I've stated, on personal items. And that is how she's going to be reported. But in, in actual fact, the the state of the state organ that which received um, a tender from the government to 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 handle monies in between NESFAS and the state budget uh, in Telemali has actually received a lot of um, a lot of critique and a lot of uh, attack from the from the media and from the public, particularly because of uh, of the negligence in which it handled these these finances. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this unpacks in court. But rather, I'm quite interested in seeing how she pleads in court. The, in, the second story is about Mr. Pillay. Uh, Ms. Ketley Pillay uh, is, is actually, has actually been in court testifying against uh, Blaine Raman, who is accused of kidnapping, uh, robbing and killing over port art student Ketley Pillay 20. So this gentleman, um, has, or the accused rather, has, has been accused of killing robbing that is three charges and kidnapping uh miss ketley pillar who was 20 and right now uh nana 32 who's 32 years old is currently serving an eight-year sentence while co-accused bilal tayob was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment suspended for five years and under house arrest 
Both men confessed to their involvement in Pile's death on the night of night of November 4, 2014. But now, Rahman walked out of the Devon High Court after charges against him were provisionally withdrawn due to insufficient evidence. So right now, in 2016, charges were reinstated after confessions were made by former co-accused. So these are what we refer to as extra curial evidence. That is evidence that is given by your co-accused or other people who were with you uh, when you committed the crime. Um, so it, we, we should see how that uh, turns out. For an for, for interesting third story, the members of parliament... Um, have actually given the minimum wage bill a nod. Uh, that means that they've actually approved the minimum wage bill against um, most people who have been against it. Um, but and by people, I mean all the trade unions. I mean all the workers. I mean all domestic workers who have been complaining. The farmer, the farmers who have been actually protesting against the fifteen rands per hour that which um, that which the department um, has given them. Uh, and so 202 people actually voted yes, 100, uh, I mean 17 voted no, and one a- and actually uh, um, chose to abstain. So the bill will be sent to the National Council of Provinces for concurrence, so we should see how that vote turns out. But usually when the National uh, Assembly has voted uh, uh, positively, chances are it will. Unless if there is a way out in which uh, council can take the matter to constitutional court to strike the bill as unconstitutional, uh, but I can't see how it how the court will rule that it violates section 10 of the constitution. But it's a, it's an open debate for for later. But rather, IFP MP Kolani Ngwezi said that we cannot support a minimum wage that is standardized across industries. It is unsustainable and quite frankly unaffordable. Currently, the proposal to phase out sectoral determinations and replace them with bargaining councils will cripple the sectors. And the EFF have actually stated that the amount was too little. Uh, the Democratic Alliance stated that the minimum wage of 20 rand per hour would hurt the economy and leading to major job losses. So that means that the Democratic Alliance would actually vote for the 20 rands to be decreased, which is quite interesting. For the final story, our Deputy President David Mabuza says that those South Africans who would be given land by the state through the proposed expropriation without compensation will be expected and assisted to work on it. (laughs) That means that um, you are given land after expropriation, but on the condition that you have an economic use for that land. So that that would be a very interesting um, uh, development to see. Um, but I mean, Mabuza has also stated that uh, expropriation without compensation was only one of many options that the ANC will be utilizing to address land reform in general. But uh, we would like to see how the Constitutional Review Committee on Section 25, Subsection 2 will be dealing with this matter. Uh, but for me, those are the legal hotspots for the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Welcome back to Law Focus, and I'm still your guardian of the law. Uh, this evening, I'm going to not just be your voice of reason, but I'm also going to be um, your your voice of information. I'm going to be your point of legal information. I'm going to be the reason why you want to be here at 7 p.m. every week, Tuesday evening. I'm Amis Bramfontaine um, in, in, the, in the middle of the rains, and I'm in the studio giving you the best of legal information. This evening, we are discussing... Um, well, we are looking at Child Protection Week. It's a campaign that which has been stalwarted by the Department of Social um, Devel- Social Development and also Legal Aid and, and other stakeholders. But these are the main stakeholders. And 
this evening we're looking at the rights of the child how to protect the child from violence and also how to look at the vulnerability of the child and what what most people will ask in these kind of situations is what one can do uh, to protect their child from from sexual violence uh, from physical violence and so forth and you don't have to be a parent to be concerned about and instrumental in the prevention of child trafficking, for example, uh, because even as a neighbor and as a community member, you do have a role to play in whatever that you see and you can report that. Uh, it is very important that we need to raise awareness about child trafficking. We need to raise awareness. We need to teach our children on how to conduct themselves in public. I mean, there are children who have been uh, murdered by their own relatives, by their own uncles and by their old, old, own neighbors. And there are those who are sexually abused by their neighbors, by their uncles, and whoever who is close. For two reasons, I mean, so not for two reasons, but rather it happens in circumstances where the child cannot identify what is being done to them. And secondly, in circumstances where the child can actually, uh, is actually scared to explain the story to whoever who's older. So we need we need to create those environments where child children can actually express that they've been treated uh, sexually indecently and also in circumstances of violence uh, we need to also raise awareness around it's it's actually a very bigger campaign than just the child protection week so what this child protection week highlights is that we need to focus on child safety and as i've said and also awareness but unfortunately it remains a lucrative business meaning that there are people who still traffic and sell children and it continues to uh, violate the rights as stipulated and contemplated in the constitution and then the child and the children re- resources charter uh before we get into that we are going to also look at or we are going to also listen to um the child line CEO, Ms. Dumisile Nala, um, explaining what this week is actually about. Well, for us as Childline, it's really difficult because we hear everyday stories of children kidnapped, brutally murdered, raped. So it's really a very clear indication that our children do not have a cause to celebrate. And I think for us as adults and carers in their lives, we also do not have a cause to celebrate. In actual fact, we should be asking ourselves, what are we doing to keep them safe? It is our view as Childline that really we cannot put the responsibility of care and protection entirely on children because a three-year-old child, a six-month-old baby, is reliant on an adult to keep them safe. Even children who are older than that, they should be enjoying their childhood, having fun, rather than thinking about, am I safe in this space? Should I be doing something else to keep myself safe? So as an organization, we are saying as adults in children's lives, we need to be thinking about what are we doing in our own space to keep children safe? So we get calls from children, young people and adults and what we find is people will will phone us wanting to know if I need to see a, a social worker, where do I go? What services are available to me if I'm in need of care and protection? So it's mainly a social welfare related services. Where do I go to my nearest police station? And it's also about services that Childline as an organization is offering. So it's people who 
are probably one way or the other are aware that they need support and they want to know where should they be going to get that support. So it could be a young person themselves or a person who is concerned about a child in their environment. We see that the issues of child-headed household, we really probably need to do more research in terms of the exact figures and what is happening to those children. But when you look at the social circumstances and the challenges that those children face, you have a young person who has taken on the responsibility to look after their siblings. And of course, normally a young person should be looked after themselves. So of course, in our country, there are many factors that has resulted into that. So as a, a country and as civil society and government, we then need to look at how do we support and put in measures to make sure that those young people who are looking after siblings are taking care of themselves are protected and are given enough knowledge and skills to carry out the task that is in front of them. The priority would be what do we need to do to prevent child-headed or youth-headed households in our country. It is certainly a collective work and I think we need to look at what can we do to prevent abuse from happening because that is really the priority. And also when then something has happened, what is my role or what can I do in that instance? So if something has happened, every one of us has a responsibility, or even if you suspect that something is going on, you have a responsibility to report and talk to someone about it. You can communicate with your social worker. If you feel it's a matter that requires police attention, you do that. Of course, there are organizations like Chiland where you can phone anonymously and report your concern about a particular child so that systems can start kicking in and support that child. But also from a preventive point of view, we need to look at the environment that we live in. How do we even make sure our own environments are safe and protective of children. If there are no safe areas in your community, what are you doing as an individual to advocate for that? Because we know we need such things to keep children safe. If there are issues around um, the environment, there are bushes around where children live, it's all those things that we can do and advocate for to make sure our environments are safe. But also, even on a government level, we know there are issues around overcrowding in households. Those are factors that contribute to children observing things that they shouldn't be seeing, but also being prone to being abused in such environments. So it's all those different levels. Um, uh, people who are in businesses, how are you supporting your workers to ensure that their children back home are safe or they have enough knowledge and skills to protect their children? Mm -hmm. Can we look at things like ensuring our staff members have access to parenting programs? Because parenting is not an easy thing. And that was Childline CEO, Mr. Misile Nala, uh, speaking about how important it is to protect our children and to also be in concert in, 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 in that particular task. But on the line, we have uh, Ms. Cynthia Nyoni, who is um, our social, social work manager 
and she she deals with uh, these particular tasks on a day-to-day basis and she's going to explain to us some of the horrors that which children experience on a day-to-day basis but rather educate us and and raise awareness on how to to tackle this thing even further uh, miss nyoni uh, welcome to the show Good evening and thank you to your listeners and yourself. It's an honor to have you onto the show. My name is Basil, by the way, so feel free to address yes. me as Basil. Um, okay. I mean, Miss Nyoni, importantly, I mean, we have, we in, in the country, we experience high statistics of children being sexually abused um, and physically assaulted. Um, yes. And we get the sense that there is no understanding as to what kind of effect this has on the child. Can you please yes. just give us a brief understanding of that? Okay. Thank you so much for that question. I think this is a very critical question, especially at the time where we are all trying to raise awareness to communities regarding issues that children are facing around the country. I think we have seen lately how children get to be violated. I mean, their human rights are being violated as young as two-year-old babies. Where you find that adults are the ones that are violating children mostly. And yes, the statistics, the rate at which uh, these cases are being reported is not satisfactory versus the way things are happening all around the country. It also shows that people out there are not having enough information as to where can they access services with regards to children when they are being violated. And parents themselves are helpless in terms of where to go or who should be reporting such cases. So therefore we urge, especially during this time when we're raising awareness to say, it's not just one man's uh, issue to be able to report these issues, but it's the communities themselves will need to raise awareness and make sure that children are protected. We, we are urging all stakeholders, especially government and non-profit uh, organizations, to pull all the resources together to make sure that we all pull <coughs> to make sure that children are protected. Yes, children are being violated. And if they are young, if they are, they are helpless most of the time to say that Nobody is protecting them, especially parents who are violating them. So therefore, it is critical to know that any suspicion of child-related crime should be reported because non-reporting is also an offense, according to what the children's act is saying. So yes, we all need to take part as our thing for this year's child protection week is saying, let us all protect children to move that us to come forward because we all know that society without children has no future, mm. which is right, yes. But, but to touch on further on on the actors of, or the, rather the perpetrators, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. is, is, it, is, it, is it a surprise that most of these uh, perpetrators, or rather the people who violate these children, either psychologically mm-hmm. or physically, happen to be mm-hmm. closer, happen to be their parents? Mm-hmm. Yes, as uh, statistics and research has highlighted to say that most perpetrators will find that they themselves have experienced uh, abuse of some sort at their early ages as children. So therefore, those replicating factors, they grow with them because if the problems were not resolved at that time or attended to when, when they were young, 
they tend to get to to think that this is the way life should be or this is how you should treat another human being and therefore they get to be perpetrators themselves when they grow up so the the replicating factors of of abuse are very drastic and they really need to be attended to as young as as as, as the young age as they are when they're experiencing those so the root causes go way long back when children are so small and they grow with that mind to say that it is okay to violate another human being, which is a human rights issue on its own. So, so what, if I understand you quite clearly, uh, Ms. Nyoni, what I pick up from your speech is that um, it, it, it's usually a cycle um, yes. that the parent would have been abused and perhaps their mm-hmm. parent would also have been abused and now they abuse yeah. the child and the child now continues to go and probably bully mm-hmm. others at school and continue mm-hmm. to also now but i mean so here's the cycle and how do we break it how do you mm-hmm. make someone realize that the the violence that which you're inflicting on your own child uh, perhaps mm-hmm. to in your own view to discipline them mm-hmm. or whatever is not the way to go forward and what mm-hmm. else do you give this person as an alternative yes you know it's a cycle you've, you've correctly put it you say the cycle that starts as young as children as young, at a young age and it replicates you know to them as they grow up the, the normalization in our society in terms of how we raise children has been to say that as a boy you don't cry this is how you should solve problems that is the way we are raised to, to believe in. But I think it's high time that we teach our young boys and girls how to treat one another. You know, we tend to also, as stakeholders, focus more on girl children, and at the same time, we tend to neglect the boy children to say that it is not okay to hit a, a girl, and a girl, it, it, it's, not, it's not right to also not you know, think about boys and their rights and Treat them as normal as, as they are, but don't perpetrate the issue of violence to, to children as, as they grow up. It's really up to parents to say, with parents, we need to teach them how to parent their children and teach them how to behave uh, and treat one another as boys and girls as they are growing up. Hmm. I mean, and so we listened to the CEO of, of Childline, uh, Ms. Dumisi Lenala, uh, talk, yes. talking about... Uh, child-headed households and mm-hmm. and how vulnerable mm-hmm. they are. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, so looking at that particular vulnerability, do you think that perhaps maybe there's something that we need to do from a policy perspective to involve mm-hmm. national security, that is the police, to assist in the protection of these child-headed households? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not necessarily child-headed households, but children in particular in general needs to be protected and we need to create safe environments for all children I and mean, with the type of families that we have in south africa due to the pandemic that we have children tend to be left alone and to fend for themselves but generally children need to be protected we need to create in our community supervisors will be able to say that they're taking care of these particular child-headed households with the help, of course, of many stakeholders that need to take role, a particular role in protecting children. We're talking of health services, the security services, social workers, you know, everybody that is supposed to, to take their role. They need to stand up now 
and take a responsibility to create the safe environment we're all talking about. And as my final question, but also I think I'm tying down, down to my to, to my previous question. I mean, looking at how, for for instances, children who grow up in perhaps maybe dysfunctional families, um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm I'm quite, I'm quite uncomfortable using that term dysfunctional. But for now, please mm-hmm. please allow me. They grow up in dysfunctional families where there's a lot of violence in approach perhaps between uncle and mother and mother and aunt and and there's just a lot of violence between siblings who happen to be this child's um uncles and and parents and mm. but at least they have a they have support right there is physical mm. support to protect them unlike children mm. who grow in child-headed households where it's only the 15 year old yeah. raising two of her siblings and and I'm talking about that. Should we rather tighten security, national security? Should we say, Hore, we are bringing a police into that space to assist yes. on a day-to-day basis? Do you think that should be? Of, of course, those are the most vulnerable children we are talking about. I mean, as I mentioned today, we have different types of families, so those are the vulnerable ones, as you can imagine. There is no other supervision most of the time. It's just children trying to be parents to one another. So mm. we can also say that police has a critical role to play, but also community at large. I'd like to emphasize to say that it starts with the environment where children are, to say that your neighbor should be able to look after the child that is next door to them before it even goes to, to, to another person. But people that are surrounding those type of children also need to be able to be responsible. They don't even need to be appointed, but it should, we should be going to those, you know, values that we were, we were brought up with. Say, my child is your child, and therefore I need to make sure that this child is this child is protected. And when they go to sleep, there's protection. You know, they don't sleep worrying to say that what is going to happen to us. But yes, of course, security is also a critical major role. Ah, I mean, Miss Cynthia Nyoni, uh, we are quite thankful for your invaluable contribution this evening. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Have a a good evening. Have a good evening. And that was Miss Cynthia Nyoni uh, speaking about how important it is for us to uh, to 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 beware of our of our of our social social cycles, you know, of, of violence, of abuse, so that we can be quite aware of that. But we are going to move into the legalities now. Um, right after the break, we'll be speaking to Ms. Uh, Dennis Masango uh, from the Legal Aid Call Center, who's a manager there. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. You are back with me, Basil Shirenda, your guardian of the law for the evening, right at the heart of Bramfontein, bringing you, bringing, bringing you legal arguments straight to your ear. Um, and, you, and I'm still your point of legal information. Uh, we, we, have, we have had a good ride thus far. <laughs> But it's about to get even even far more informative than it has been, because on the line we have Mr. Dennis Masango, who's a call center manager at the Legal Aid South Africa National Office. Um, I mean, the Legal Aid uh, does a lot of work uh, into assisting people who do not have their own legal representatives. But I mean, Mr. Masango will speak more about that. Mr. Masango, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, and uh, good evening, and good evening to your listener. Um, it's it's always an honor to have you on air. 
uh, and this evening we are discussing child protection and I understand that there's a lot that we are going to learn from you in, with regards to the legalities of this particular matter. And I mean, to get straight to the point, I mean, how can parents and guardians of affected scholars seek damages after any abuse from civil proceedings? Well, uh, you must understand that uh, the rights of uh, scholars, which are children most of the time, uh, are protected in the Constitution and various legislative measures mm. uh, against infringement by the learners themselves amongst each other and by the teachers themselves against the learners in the forms of various forms of abuse, sexual abuse, mm. physical and emotional abuse. Now, in the instances, there is what we call in law, law cooperators, which means that uh, when we as parents send our children to school, we exchange our roles with the teachers and the principal. It means they act in our shoes or on our behalf. Now we entrust them with the management and the supervision of our kids. Now, mm. if anything happens during that supervision, uh, for example, abused by the teacher of children or amongst them, they should be in a position to intervene. Mm. Now, if my uh, uh, learner is abused by either a teacher or a fellow learner, sexually, let's say so, mm. and the matter is reported to the authority, which is the the head of department in the school, or the there's no action, it's reported to the principal, and if there's no action, it's reported to the governing body. And there's no action, basically, and the child on the other side, suffers severe traumatic experience. The parents can take the matter further to the Department of Education uh, within the province. And if it does not find any solace, then you can now approach the courts, basically, uh, to find redress. And now, the extent of the damages that can be claimed within the civil structures will be determined, basically, by the nature of the trauma and damage you suffered. Because uh, you cannot uh, extend certain liabilities to the teachers who might be limited in terms of the damages suffered by the child. And therefore, you can obviously uh, approach the magistrate court, depending on the nature of the claim, or you can approach basically the high court. Now, the Department of Education is enjoined to protect the learners at all costs. Uh, I can make reference to the case, maybe a listener can uh, uh, remember the case of Michael Komape, the one in uh, Pulukwan. Yes, we remember where the child, well. uh, remember the case remember where well. the child fell into, into a, toilet a, a pit toilet. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, you, if you know the history of the case, that has been reported quite severely before the incident happened. For the department to make any intervention, it went through a lot of processes, but no action was taken. Now the family un uh, unfortunately lost their child. 
Now, I'm trying to make a point that uh, the damages ca- are, are limited. And in that case, the lawyers for the parents claim what we call constitutional damages. We remember that the state is enjoined to protect the children in terms of the Bill of Rights, that it must make sure that their education must be, they must be entitled and they have a right to have a, 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 to learn in a safe and secure environment. And that was not the case in that particular case. Unfortunately, the court did not extend, give them those damages. They only pay them damages for funeral costs and those uh, future medical costs for the minor children of the, the sisters of the and brother of the deceased. Mm. Now the damages are limited basically and then the courts have not extended to what we call personal damages as we have seen with the uh, uh, 50 millimeter which in any case was not a court process. Uh, and then, then basically for that that is a form of abuse because the driving learners of proper education and learning in a safe environment. Now, the parents can obviously follow through and report whatever uh, abuses the children uh, find at school to the relevant structures as mentioned earlier on. So, so, uh, Mr. Go through, ma- ma- yes, Mr. Masangu, can I please interrupt? Because I'm, I'm trying to find, the, I'm trying to find the legal principle in your in your view. Are you arguing that should a child be abused in school premises? that in and of itself will be subsumed within their right to basic education. Is that your argument? Come again? Are you arguing that should a child be abused, either psychologically or physically, not psychologically, but physically or sexually, within school premises, that in itself would be subsumed within their right to basic education? Is that your argument? It is basically, yes, yes. Yes, you remember I mentioned that in terms of the constitution, there must be a safe and secure environment. So if that secure and, and, and environment and that is not safe, it's breach when the child is sexually uh, assaulted or any sexual misconduct takes place against the child, it means the school has failed to protect the child. More especially if there are repeated, repeated reports to the school authorities. Mm-hmm. Unless the school takes action on a first incident of a report the school takes action and employ whatever mechanisms that are provided into the school's act in terms of the disciplinary methods Mm. disciplining the 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 perpetrator and providing counseling services to the victim then in that particular places the school will have taken what we call intervention measures to provide a safe and learning and secure environment. But if perpetually the child reports and the mother reports and there are no mechanisms done by the authorities and this goes on and it affects the well-being, psychological and physical being of the child, then the child and the parents have a right to seek redress from the courts. More especially if it will have a permanent uh, scar on the psychological mentality of the child and on his physical body. There's a case that happened sometime where in Alexandra, the child was in a, in a, in a container school and the tree fell and the child lost the, the, the two legs. And the school was at various times instructed 
to about the danger they did not do anything and the court in any case when they sued for damages and for future medical loss and the loss of earnings because the child does not have name mm. and uh, 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 the, the court managed basically to 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 to, to the lawyers managed to get the lawyers wanted 10 million and the the, the, the department was offering 3 million and they could remember that case mm. and then then the, so each and every case is treated on its own merits. I think you understand that, you know. You could not approach it on a similar basis because some damages are, are, are permanent, some damages, injuries are temporal, and they can be undertaken with discussion with uh, certain measures that can be intervened, you know. I mean, but the courts are there. The courts are there to utilize in the event that you don't get redressed at school. Mr. Masango. I'm I'm actually quite concerned about how this case gets to be proven in court because, I mean, I hear your argument on mm. how a, a lawyer can actually seek for a different order in in circumstances where mm. the the psychology of the child may be may be tempered in giving evidence. That is not my concern. My main mm. concern is the feasibility of proving sexual harassment, perhaps of a teacher or of an older a student at school. Because it can be very difficult um, because you can give probably an affidavit to explain this is what happened and maybe a mother will be there to support this child. But now then the affidavit is not enough because then now the child has to be cross-examined. Now, can you please assist us there? How does that work out? Well, depending and then, then reporting a matter or like this, for example, an abuse of a sexual nature and then if it's Normally, it, it, it might happen between two individuals without any third party witnessing the event. And mm. then, 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 obviously, in terms of claiming damages, you know, you look at uh, what trauma did the child suffered, are there any injuries that could be proven by J88 if the child was raped, yeah. you know, and then, then, then the, the psychological reports that can be presented about the long-term effects of uh, mental scar, you know, all those reports and then and, 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 and by the police, by the psychologists, by the intermediary, those reports can be presented in order to substantiate your claim for, for damages and then, then for emotional damage as a parent and to the child. Mm. So you can gather various reports and then that will substantiate. The fact that there were two, two persons, understand that you cannot just because there were two persons that you cannot say the matter must be taken. The parent has a right to take the matter further. Mm. And they can report the matter to the school governing body or to the principal and say, the teacher has basically violated the rights of my child mm. and uh, interfered with her important integrity. And the dignity has been suffered. Therefore, I want you to take action. Obviously, it will be investigated. It will be investigated because what motive will the child have in 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 in, 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 in asserting those allegations against it, the principal? Obviously, those will be investigated. If they are found to have a, a, a prima facie case, basically, then they will put a hearing against the teacher. And then, the, if the teacher is found to be guilty, obviously, South African Council of Educators will come into being. We must understand also if there's a sexual violation. Not only the school must be involved, the parents must report the matter to the South African police service. 
Mm. I mean, so, so you've, also, you've also spoken about how, so if the school or education department fails to act, then probably the next step is to go to court, right? I understand that. Yes. Well, you've also spoken about how the redress that can be uh, asked from court can be an interdict uh, from harassment or from sexual offense or bullying. And, but I need to understand now, should an interdict be found? And how would this interdict look? Because now the bully or the sexual offender is still in school with this child, be it a teacher or be it a fellow student. So how would that work out? Because now I, I think the rights of the other party or the accused or, co- or, or respondent would also have to be taken into account. Can you please explain that for us? In a form of abuse like bullying, bullying takes place in schools in various ways. And uh, and then, then the, the victim would have taken measures, basically, to, 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 to inform the bully that he's not, he's not happy with the, his conduct towards him or her, basically. And then, then and the, this matter is also reported, basically, to, 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 to the education uh, authority. The other remedy available for, for, for the parent or the child himself is to go to the court and ask for what we call a, 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 a protection order in terms of harassment act so that they can stop the bully from making certain insinuation from conducting himself against the victim in a particular manner. Mm. And therefore if if if, if 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 that interdict is served on the bully, you must understand when it's served, it's got what we call also a, a, a warrant. Mm. If he continues with his conduct, because he is being interdicted from doing any specific conduct, mm. and if he continues with his conduct, it means he will be in contempt of the court order. And yes. once he's in contempt of the court order, then the victim is entitled to go back to the court and go to the police station and present a warrant of arrest and say, this person is violated and interdict, and therefore I need certain steps to be taken. You must understand that the interdict is it's an interim interdict, and the bully is given an, an, an option and a chance to present his case on the next day in court. Yeah, but that takes time, uh, Mr. Masango. That takes like a good, yes. um, in my experience, a good um, probably 45 days uh, before yes. before the the, uh, the the court date is given. So what happens in yes. between, in between these 45 days? Does that mean that a student who is in, who is in school, uh, who is now allegedly a bully, is going to be arrested on the say-so of another student? No, you must understand it's an interim in any case because uh, an interim for a special harassment, it does not need the other person to be there because it's basically it's a form of a serious. The, the person has gone to court and say, listen, I'm having this particular uh, 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 har- person harassed. Mr. Masangu, Mr. Masangu, Mr. Masangu yes. let's understand each other. This child yes. has went to, to the police station to get an interim order, right, which has been signed by a magistrate. That's an and interim court, order. Yes, so yes. the order is already yes. out. But then this yes. alleged offender violates this interim order, right? While yes. we are waiting for the date of the final order. Because remember, yes. the interim order will say that you have to present yourself to court to come and explain why this order should not be made final, in my understanding. Yes. Yes. Now, we are waiting for 45 days before this interim order is made final. In, this, in between these 45 days, 
this alleged offender violates this interim order. So what will happen? Will the police arrest this student? No, obviously, 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 the person will be arrested, obviously, depending on the age of the particular offender. And then, then obviously, if the age, age is between 10 and, and, and 11 and 14, he will obviously appear, be, be called what we call their intervention. You know, there will be diversion programs, there will be preliminary investigation, but if it's an older person, around 18 years sometimes, then uh, uh, if the diversion is not successful, the person can be uh, brought to before the, 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 the criminal court because he has violated an, an, an interdict mm. and then he was warned while he's waiting for this. You must understand, there's what we call you anticipate the order in law. It means you can come back even within 44, 24 hours of receiving an order without waiting for 45 days. You can come back any court any time uh, in the court to dispute basically the interview. You don't mm. have to wait for 45 days, basically. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. If you feel that it might prejudice you, you can go back to, you can go to court and say, I'm anticipating the order. I'm within 48 hours. I'm coming, I'm challenging this order, basically. And the other person would be informed and say, the police here is challenging this order. You must come to court on this specific day. Then the matter will be ventilated and based on the hearing, the court might make it final, interdict, and a permanent one, or dismiss it based on insufficient evidence. Mm. That's basically those are the options. But there is an interim protection order which is valid and, and can be served in the event that it is uh, 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 broken by the uh, 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 by the perpetrator. And therefore, depending on the age, the person will be arrested and brought to court, basically. You know? And also, with regard, if the perpetrator is the teacher, uh, you can also apply because you must remember I said to you as a as a teacher you 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 are in the shoes of the parent mm. now you can also go to court and apply for domestic violence. I know that domestic violence applies only on family relationships mm. now the teacher is regarded as a parent now that establishes a family relationship so if a student so assaults a teacher, a teacher can go and report it on the basis of domestic violence. No, no, I'm saying the, 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 the victim. If the victim is violated by the teacher, oh, remember that okay, the abuser... Okay. Yes. Um, uh, the, the, the abuser can be a teacher also. Remember oh, okay. I said that. Yes, yes. So now, uh, because in terms of the Domestic Violence Act, it's only relationship, the family relationship, when you can approach the court to apply for a domestic violence. Mm. But now, what makes the teacher a parent it's because the, the the parents have abdicated the responsibility to a teacher to be a parent it means the parent acts in what we call local parenting acting yeah. on the shoes of the parent therefore a relationship of familiarity has been established therefore you can proceed towards the domestic violence as motive compared to the harassment act domestic violence interdict because you can interdict the person from not doing this coming nearer to the child coming in the class or doing this and this, it's more tease and it, 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 it bites quickly than the uh, harassment act, which relates to individuals that are not related, basically. So those are the mechanisms that are employed. You must understand that nothing also stops parents from reporting the matter to the police. Mm. And then, 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 then nothing stops the parents if the authorities in the school don't take matters seriously. 
to going directly to the Department of Education and reporting their processes, which will necessitate further investigation. So whatever, nothing is there. The, the perpetrator can, can be brought before the disciplinary hearing. And depending on what kind of an offense he has committed, he can be suspended, or if it's a serious offense, he can be dismissed, basically. Mm. So the, 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 there are options that are available that the disciplinary action can be taken up against an offender who has seriously, uh, even if he has been warned, attending disciplinary hearing, then the offender can be basically uh, 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 either removed from the school t- uh, 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 and, or suspended for quite some time. Normally it's a shorter period, you know, for a week, and the supervision be given, although it cannot be denied, but the supervision can be given. So there are various mechanisms that can be employed to protect the children at school. And uh, they should not, the children should not suffer in silence. They mm. should report any form of abuse. But they there's, there's fear. There's, there's fear. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking all of these questions against mm. the backbone of the fact that, um, especially particularly in the township, whenever you're dealing with a bully or a sexual mm. offender who is in the same school, probably it would be someone who's older. In primary school, it would mm. be someone who's in probably in grade 7, sexually mm. assaulting someone who's in grade 3. And this person who's in grade 7 is supposed to be in grade 10, probably. And mm. they come from an, quite a neglectful family, right? Which also mm. has a cycle of violence. We spoke to a social worker just now who, to, who taught mm. us about, about a cycle of violence. And mm. this, this particular perpetrator comes and violates this this particular child and then now an interim protection order is is given to him or is given to his parents who are never there and they don't Mm. they they don't they don't pay attention to it and he comes back and still violates this particular child so i'm looking at those kind of dynamics and how they play out in 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 practice you understand what I'm saying, yes. Mr. Masango? Yes, I understand. It's about enforcement issues, but in terms of basically, it's a it's a socio it's a social issue that we are referring to. But in terms of the law, the law is very clear. Mm. It's very clear. These are the guidelines. If you feel that your your rights are violated and you are victimized, these are the steps that you need to take. Report to the principal or report to the authorities or report to the police. The police must take the matter further and make investigation and make arrest, mm. basically. And then, then, then the person who is arrested, obviously, is got also right in terms of, uh, the, depending on the seriousness of the case, we talked about this uh, representation previously, because to appear in court and you will get bail. And then, 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 then basically, therefore, as we are saying that even if a person is released on bail, he can continue harassing, you know, harassing. Then and, and it does not stop the victim to go back to the police and say, this person is still harassing me. Yeah. Then the co- police can arrest him and he can go back to court and they'll edit another basically charge. Yeah, Mr. Masango. Mr. Masango, (laughs) thank you very much. I would have loved to take it further, but my producer is signaling for me that (laughs) we we need to call it an evening. Uh, Thank you for your invaluable contribution this evening. Uh, We we yeah we learned a lot from you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. We will we will we will tell our listeners about legal aid. And that was Mr. Dennis Masango telling us about how the legalities of harassment work at schools and how scholar abuse can be conducted and, and rather combated in, the, in, in this country 
using um, the police and so forth. We spoke to um, our, our social, our resident uh, social manager, social worker, who spoke to us about cycles of abuse. We also listened to the CEO of Childline uh, telling us about how we need to all put our hands together in this week of Child Protection Week. But far more importantly, we need to come together and we need to solve this problem together. We need to understand that the, our children are our future. Uh, from our from our producer, Ms. Bulali Jakopu, and from our technical producer, um, Mr. Gudrano Gwinch Serame, and from me, Bezos Shirinda, your host, it's it's law, it's serious. Good evening. Law Focus, point, point of information. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Law Focus Podcast.